I am Paul Dager, your host for this conversation on mindfulness. Each episode, I have a chat with a guest about their personal mindfulness practice. We roll up our sleeves, lift the hood, pull back the curtain of mystery, and discover the humanity in this ancient and evidence-based practice. And in today's episode, I'm joined by Amy Perlman. Amy prides herself as a quintessential social worker, changing the world one step at a time, while she stops to appreciate the parts that stay the same. She is a recovering perfectionist, believing in the humanity of us all, and a dear friend. I hope you enjoy this conversation about Amy's mindfulness journey. Hey folks, welcome back to, I forgot the name of the podcast already. <laughs> you don't know the, the name, do antidote. you? No. <laughs> no, no, no. Amy, we're on to something new now. This is oh. um, Simple But Not Easy, a mindfulness podcast. So that's an old adage in mindfulness because uh, it just, it, it, it curdles my blood. That may be a very strong statement. I'm going to go with it. When um, I see all these things about meditation made easy, it's like, it's not easy, folks. Okay, that's why we're doing this podcast, because we're going to show you how to get over the hump here. It's not easy. So that's why simple but not easy felt like a good a good title for, for what we're doing here. So before we go too much further, I want to introduce Amy Perlman, who, full disclosure, she's one of my favorite people in this world. We work together on a past podcast that hasn't launched yet. I hope that comes out soon. Maybe by the time this one launches, the other one will launch too. Hello. And uh, Amy and I worked together at a place called Psychub, where we did our first podcast. So I'm just thrilled to death to be hanging out with my buddy Amy and uh, talking mindfulness today. I am thrilled to be back in the space. It feels like feels like old home week to be together with you, Paul. Yes, yes, very true. And, and no pressure. We don't have to worry about any scripts today or any subject matter experts. It's just you and I hanging and talking. One of my favorite people to talk to. <laughs> Although I do feel pressure because last night my wife revealed to me that the football player who's dating Taylor Swift... I don't know his name. I'm not. Yeah, you know, just, I'm not great just, with your football player Bears, references, yeah. but I I and am so, familiar. Him and his brother have a podcast, and my wife has been listening to it. And I'm sort of like, I didn't even ask her; she's going to listen to mine because I like I don't want that rejection. Love. She's listening to these two football players talking, but she's not listening to me. So I'll let that stress go. But if she does listen to you, do you want the comparison? No, not at all. No. I figured. I figured. She she said they're very funny. And I don't want want that pressure to be funny. So we're just going to be just... Uh, so I, I yesterday I had a previous guest, like we're lifting the hood, rolling up our sleeves and pulling back the veil. So I'm mixing metaphors about, you know, the human side of mindfulness. And sometimes it's so mysterious and ooh and ah, it's like, no, this is real, folks. Let's get real. Let's talk about the hard stuff and also the, the good stuff. So Amy, where do you want to begin in our conversation? I... I'm going to go back to the title for a minute and saying yeah. uh, that I feel like even though you're coming in to feel like, hey, the pressure, the pressure's not on or anything, I felt like you took the pressure off a bit when you said it's not easy. Sweet. Um, okay. I, You know me well enough to know that my standards are on the high side. <laughs> and uh, when we started talking about having this conversation, I started thinking about the idea of resistance to meditation, of this mm-hmm. idea that like, oh, this is something I should do, and I understand all the scientific benefits of it, mm-hmm. but it feels hard. Yeah, yeah. And so I wanted to talk a little bit about resistance today. Yeah. Well, let's. How about we start with your experience of it? How does how does resistance show up for you when it comes to 
like mindfulness and meditation or just this gap between knowing and doing? And we know all this good stuff that we don't do. How does that show up for you? I love that. Um, I think it's funny because I have put meditation in a category in my mind of not doing. <laughs> um, I, is that the end of our show? Are we yeah, no, done? no, like not like I'm not going to do it. Oh, I thought okay, this I thought, idea. Thank of, you. See you next week. We, yeah, exactly. <laughs> The idea of like being versus doing. Oh, oh, okay. You're getting like metaphorical on me now. I know, I know, right? So this idea of like meditation feels like stopping doing. Yeah, yeah, okay. And I'm a doer. And when I want to feel productive in my life, I feel Mm. the need to do. Okay. And... You can put all the evidence out there, but the resistance feels to me like I don't have time. I need to be doing okay. something. Is it, a, is it a question of time or a question of feeling productive? I think it's probably more of the latter. That was my guess, yeah. Because it's not just the starting, like it's the making time, mm-hmm. but then sitting in the moment. Mm-hmm. The places that my mind goes are to-do lists. Yeah. Well, I have some bad news for you. Um, you're human. And yeah, very common thing that that, that to-do list uh, shows, its, uh, shows itself when you're sitting and doing nothing. Yeah. Because I find I used to have an excuse that I can't do morning, do morning meditation because I'm not, I'm not a morning person. So when I would wake up, if I tried to roll out of bed straight to the cushion, I'll get caught in this weird half awake space that just, I don't know, was not meditating. I don't know what it was. It was probably more sleeping or like daydreaming. It's like, oh, I can't do this. Um, and then if I didn't do it first thing in the morning, it's like, well, the day would, you know, I'll do it later. And I never get around to it. And the change I made was if I had an office to go to, I would get myself, you know, cleaned up, eat, drive to the office, then meditate there because I was more awake at that point. And then now with not an office to go to, I just, I do my morning routine, but I do my best to avoid any devices. So I'm not inputting any information. And I found that that helped me to, to get around that excuse, but I have that same sense about feeling productive. It's like, there's stuff I got to do today. Meditation always feels like it's, it's, barrier to getting on to doing stuff. So I totally relate to what you're saying. And I I like this idea of playing around with what time of day works for you. Yeah. Yeah. I I mean, you know, I'm the parent of a lo- of a young kid. My morning is like getting out of the house. Okay. That's the focus. <laughs> Mission accomplished if you're out the door. (laughs) And if that's, I mean, it's like getting lunch together, getting myself together, getting a kid together, getting out of the door, getting out the door. And there's a time crunch Mm -hmm. on that. Um, And neither one of us are morning people. Oh, ouch. Okay. Um, So most of it starts with like, gotta get out of bed. Gotta get, like, I'm weak. I mean, these people who talk about their kid gets up at 5 a.m. I was like, my kid at like 8.30, I'm like, dude, wake up. It's four, but could be a teenager. But what has been helpful to me is that once I drop her off and I get back, which is kind of similar to what you were saying, mm-hmm. that I feel like my to-do, my to-do list has less pressure earlier mm. in the day okay, because the day is still ahead of me. 
Okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I like that. You reminded me when I was working at a hospital for a period of time and lunchtime became a meditation time. I'd, I'd grab my, actually I had a bench, not a cushion at that time, and I'd head on down to the chapel, which is a nice quiet spot in the hospital. And that time worked. And I find the dosing studies all all leaned in this direction. And, and I usually tell students that the best time and how long to meditate is what's going to work. There's no perfect time of day to do it. And so hearing that you are starting to find this rhythm to your day, that to me, that's one of the first humps to get over with this experience of resistance you're having. So there's a few things with it. One is there is life. So sometimes yes. and this morning, <laughs> I had like I had a 9am meeting. Okay. And so I started my day, like I probably got home at 840. And Mm -hmm. I wanted to do this guided meditation that's 32 minutes long. And so I was like, well, I can't do it. I'll just make myself a cup of coffee. I'll jump into the meeting. And then after the meeting, it's kind of like once you start these, Mm -hmm. like, went on a screen, was on the computer, hard to, like, I got a few takeaways from the meeting. I wanted to follow up on those. And then all of a sudden, it started to approach if I'm going to do this this morning, I got to do it now because I'm going to meet with Paul soon. <laughs> and that, Paul, you'll laugh at me because I did the guided meditation, but I was cutting it so close. I played it at 1.25 speed. I, I, I'm speechless. I don't know what to make of that. <laughs> and I was like, I baffled myself on it. It's kind of like the way that I felt like a sense of, maybe it's a sense of betrayal to meditation when you do certain, like, you're not supposed yeah, to listen to I'm kind of like, right. no, don't tell me. I feel like, well, don't discourage. You found a way. It's like, oh, I'm so torn right now. And so what I was thinking about is that one, I can either do a guided meditation or not do a guided meditation oh, and just yeah, do it. Yeah. For, so, or have a library of meditations that are the right amount of time for what I have. Okay. It reminds me almost of like when I used to tell you I was multitasking, that I was clearly multitasking and you would kind of cringe at that too. <laughs> but this was not supposed to be the, the cringe episode. <laughs> Yeah, no, maybe podcast. that. You know, I was trying to think how to title these things, and I found that the first one there was like this little statement that was perfect, and maybe this one's going to be called the cringe one. Yeah, <laughs> so. and what I think actually works best for me is finding yeah. those little moments, and I really mm-hmm. feel like you call them something, Paul, but I'm not. I'm not the oh. meditation expert enough to know when to call them. I've <laughs> been doing. It's you talk about. It's like, do you talk about washing dishes? It's the washing well, there, dishes kind of one, thing. One right? task mindfully is yeah. is one of the informal practices. Well, let's let's hear your experience of that because I love uh, sharing. It's it's especially good for the people with. I have no time. It's like, yeah, you do one task mindfully. I have been appreciating doing my daughter's hair. I could tell you all of the sensations about that that feel good to me. Yeah. Also tell you that my daughter hates to brush her hair. So it's like (laughs) usually this like fight and struggle. Yeah, yeah. And so it has been this challenge of how to engage her Mm-hmm. But also this sweetness that it doesn't mm. last forever. She won't be for mm. forever. Her yeah. hair is so soft and yeah. it's so sweet. And I just get I just get to give her like gentle touch. Yeah. So I'm feeling it. I'm in the moment. I can kind of smell her hair as I'm mm-hmm. doing it. 
And it's like, I usually, I try to pull it back from her face. Um, the days I don't, it's like we come home with yogurt hair. But it's, so it's like functional, but it yeah. is also really being in this moment of feeling connected, feeling this sensation, pulling a hair tie through mm. and doing it in the gentlest way possible, well filled with love for my child. Oh my goodness. So beautiful. And that's been the beauty for me that doesn't feel like that time crunch. And here's that quality of when we talk about mindful moments where time suspends itself. Mm -hmm. There's only the now and the space just opens up. And I love that. And there is this very, I mean, it's also in the time crunch of the morning, but in that moment, I'm able to appreciate what I am doing and Mm -hmm. also have this awareness Mm -hmm. of the kind of fleeting nature of it, which is Mm. part of the appreciation for me. I want to offer you another word and tell me if this fits, because this is something I'm a real big advocate for when it comes to mindfulness of savoring. Yes. Okay. Yeah. Say more about how it is, that quality. That resonates for me. That resonates for me. It is soaking up this moment Mm -hmm. that we won't have forever and really feeling the sense of pleasure from that instead Mm -hmm. of this, because it is a time that has historically and will again be a point of struggle between us. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. And it's during that morning routine. So it's all the more impressive your capacity of shifting into that state mm-hmm. and that space. Yeah. Ready for me to blow your mind? I am. I'm ready. So last night, uh-huh. this was evening, but okay. after school, she came home and she wanted to do my hair. Oh. <laughs> That's adorable. And I sat on the floor and I tried to savor it in a way that felt it felt different. Being on the receiving side, yeah. Being on the receiving side, but also felt like a mindful moment. Because mm-hmm. of course at this I think it was probably a bedtime delay technique, like uh, tactic. Yeah, sure. Okay. But I mean Intention whatever, I'll give her credit. It worked, right? <laughs> oh, I you know. It felt good. And she got out this detangling spray and she sprayed it on my hair and she brushed it and she kind of twirled it around in different ways. Oh, fun. And she used a lot of the words that I use in that moment, but it felt, it almost felt that if I could think about this as a mindful moment, that she would start modeling some of that. Oh, yeah, yeah. I was modeling it for her and then she was doing it back to me. Yeah. And I think it feels good for giver and receiver. Thank you. you. You really highlighted the power of savoring. And so often with mindfulness and me being a therapist, you know, therapy talk and all that, we go to the hard negative struggling stuff. This idea of there's this other half of life that we're missing out on. And, and mindfulness is an invitation into those moments because we tend to rush by pleasant, the pleasurable, the positive, because I got to get on to the doing stuff. Let's loop it all the way around to the productivity. There's stuff to be done. I got a do list. Mm-hmm. And we miss out on these moments in life that may only come once. Now, this one does come around again, but there is a clock ticking and how many opportunities there may be. But yeah, I really am such a strong advocate in spreading the message of savoring. Because so much of our life is just gone and we miss out on those. Yeah. So thank you for, and I think 
in a tap, in a conversation about resistance, I think savoring is a powerful antidote to bring up. This isn't necessarily even where I thought it was going to go, but no. for me, it really has felt like this mix of not always needing to do something that is like an organized meditation to check, mm-hmm. but a mm-hmm. really a way of being within yeah. the things that I'm already doing. Mm-hmm. Or slowing down or stopping what I am doing to take a moment to savor, I guess. I I like that word too. So I'm going to stick with that. Yeah, let's go with that. Well, and the truth is mindfulness is not something that comes from outside. It's not a tool, a technique, or a structure. It's a capacity within us that we we invite this showing up in this way. And all the, the structured stuff is just practice to mm-hmm. make it a little more accessible for moments like this. And that that is very helpful to think about because I will tie this back to resistance is that yeah. I have been doing the guided meditations once a day mm-hmm. because I feel like I'm still practicing. Mm. I don't have a confidence that is there, which is also probably part of that resistance that I feel I like being good at things. We all do. <laughs> um It is not something that comes naturally to me. And I want that help, but have felt like my most successful moments Mm -hmm. of being mindful have been on my own more than through that structure. Okay. And I I think what you're speaking to is there is a skillfulness to learn, acquire, and apply. There's no right or wrong experience to have with mindfulness. And I think there is a skillfulness to it that, and here's the thing, like kiddos are, are masters of mindfulness. I remember when my son was young and still to this point, you know, him being in the moment to an annoying degree. And we lose this somewhere along the way where coming back to productivity, I have to be productive. I have to, you know, do stuff of value rather than being with value. If that phrasing works quite right as I intended. But yeah, there's this, we're reclaiming something that we gave away or maybe someone took from us. I don't know. I'm not, that's a whole other mm-hmm. conversation. But I want to suggest that the confidence is you were really good at this when you were your daughter's age. Yeah. And I get yeah. maybe my question for you too is like, how do you cultivate maintaining that skill for yourself, but also like for our children? Well, I, I find I let Noah be a reminder. Noah is my son. And Noah is a, a wonderful um, reminder in the room of when I'm like, I want to get one more thing done. And he's like, no, he wants me to be with him in the moment. And I still I still have moments where it's like, I don't want to meditate today. And it's sort of like running, either go for a run or I meditate. And running, I find, is a little bit easier, um, even when it's like cold and snowing outside, because I just kind of go through the motions of like, throwing the clothes on, get out the door. And I'm not awake till I'm, you know, 30 minutes into it. Meditation, I find, is a little harder to go over that hump. And it's almost like I just let I let the the thoughts run. I don't want to do this. I gotta get busy. There's other stuff. I just let those run their course. And it's like this background drone of sound in my mind as I physically pull my cushion out, get my timer out. And just because those thoughts are there doesn't mean I have to abide by them. And I think that's where it just becomes more of a habit, like any health behavior change. Those thoughts are there. 
they're always going to be there to some degree. And I don't have to remove them to still go and sit on the cushion and do my thing. So I, I don't love know if that, that speaks to your question, but that's that's what I find has been my I just it's kind of like, you know, I'm gonna promote Nike here. You just just do it. When I was thinking about it, I was thinking about the part of me that is a parent when yeah. I asked the question, but the part of me that is a, a practitioner maybe listened to your answer more, which is mm-hmm. That feeling that I get through the end of the meditation that I spent the whole time thinking about what I was supposed to be doing, and (laughs) then that I wasted my time. Mm. And it may be the only time I have to be in a day. Mm -hmm. Um, So I think it is finding those moments to be where I don't feel like there's so much pressure on the Mm -hmm. formal meditation component, but also acknowledging, like, if those thoughts are there for Paul. Oh, yeah. Then it's okay that those thoughts are there for me. And I think the playfulness to some degree as well with those thoughts come in and noticing them and kind of playing with the not having a different expectation for it to go away. So this kind of draws back to even you saying at the beginning, Mm -hmm. this is not easy. Yeah, exactly. The expectation (laughs) that you just go into like a Zen moment at the ring of a bell Mm -hmm. at any time and that it's the best part of your day every day. Like these are not always realistic. And it's laying a lot on it. <laughs> yeah. Well, that's, and that's, that's consistent with my, my life <laughs> approach. When I was saying I have high standards, I mean, it's, it's sometimes difficult to live up to it. So I think yeah. playing in this space has been really helpful to me in a way of being and being kind to myself. Yes. And that, that I think is a huge aspect. I'm thinking back to when we did the the moral distress burnout yeah. podcast about self-compassion. And I think if we're talking about resistance to, to meditation, we have to bring in self-compassion. And you know, th- th- we beat ourselves up enough over a hundred other things during the day. Don't put meditation on that list. Be right. kind to yourself about it. Yeah. And I think that it does it does kind of tie in for me as almost a a tool in the self-compassion journey. Well, okay, here's what I, I always like. One of the things I do with clients, and not that this is a therapy session, but turning a negative into a positive and noticing that when I start to beat myself up for this, that becomes an invitation to be kind and self-compassionate. And so I like that. letting that actually become a prompt to bring a little more self-compassion into your day, I think is a way to take those thoughts and bring a usefulness to them. Yeah. I think I think finding that opportunity to practice. Yeah, yeah, exactly. You reminded me of a a story about that it happened to me on a retreat. And I every retreat I've taken, I've had cushion issues. But it was a week long retreat up in the beautiful mountains of Colorado, and there was this gentleman. He was so into it, and I remember ending a meditation. He'd always have a big smile, and I'm like in pain from my cushion. I'm like, God <laughs> damn it. He's smiling again. Why Why can he enjoy this and I'm not? And so you made me think of that when you talked about well, even Paul has these thoughts. Yeah, there, there's no perfect meditator out there. And it's just we're, we're all living our lives, and, and whatever's going on in our life will show up in our meditation and befriending that. So those voices that seem to get in the way, it's like, oh, you're an old friend. You're back again. And you're an old annoying friend, and I'm going to be compassionate to you too. You know, so bringing compassion into those thoughts, like, hey, you know, not that I missed you, not that I'm glad to see you, but you're here, and I can't force you away. So come join me on the cushion today. You're familiar. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. And that's the playfulness, I think, that has been helpful for me too. Good. Good. Huge advocate for playfulness. I find in my workplace, I invite that in more. 
and and have made that a standard for where I find my next workplace. Playfulness must be part of the culture. I've enjoyed too much being in that space. So I just want more of those touch points in my life of playfulness. So thank you for that reminder, Amy. Yeah. I mean, thank you for being that because I think that is a great observation about yourself too, because you do bring a sense of playfulness. And even in terms of getting ready for us meeting today, I, it is the way I framed it in my mind is that Paul mm. and I are going to play together around meditation. Exactly. Amy, I never know where these are going to end up. Finding that recording these are like somebody is handing me a gift and I don't know what's inside. And as I open it up, now I'm sitting here looking at this gift that you brought to me today and ah, could not have been any more enjoyable. So thank you for that. Thank you. Thank you all for joining us today. Um, I don't even know if I have an audience, maybe someday, hopefully, or, or you and I just had a pleasurable conversation. So if there is an audience and you were listening, come on back next week for Simple But Not Easy, the mindfulness podcast. Simple But Not Easy, a mindfulness podcast is produced by me, Paul Dager. And uh, thank you for putting up with my lack of technical skills. A huge thank you to my guests today for sharing their story and insights. And a thank you to Jacob Morrison, Juliana Castro, and Trevin Stiegel, my friends and mentors in how to make a podcast. I miss you guys. And Andrea Romack, who gave me my first podcast hosting experience at Psychub. And of course, thank you to my listeners for joining me on this journey along the path of waking up and being mindful together. If you find value in this podcast, please like, write a review, and share with your family and friends. Be well all until we meet again in our next episode. 